when I think back at it, really, 2013, I was 12 years old, my sister was 10, and um, grown up all our lives in Bali. You know, we live 100 meters from the beach, which meant I'd be standing there looking out into the ocean with my feet in the sand, and I would be looking out at waves of plastic. I'd look to my left and there would be a burnt pile of plastic trash left over by someone. Plastic was everywhere. It was something that you couldn't escape. And also not a single type of plastic that caught our attention because we saw everything. Plastic bags, toothbrushes, cigarette butts, candy wrappers, chip packets, all sorts of plastic was just ending up in our environment. For me and my sister, that was just sort of a, a really huge wake-up call. This is season 12 of the Sustainable Asia podcast, mapping the Asia plastic crisis. I am Bonnie Ao. And I'm Marcy Trent Long. Our team at Sustainable Asia partnered with the Heinrich Boll Foundation with support from Break Free from Plastic Asia Pacific to produce this series. For the next five episodes, we will take you on a journey across Asia to witness the burden plastic waste has here on communities, neighborhoods and their natural surroundings. And see how Asia is changing the narrative on managing disposable plastic waste. We start with Malati Weissen's story, a young civic advocate finally standing up to the plastic waste status quo that over the past few decades here in Asia has become the norm. So the first thing I always say is coming up with the idea, coming up with the end goal, what exactly did we want to achieve? And our vision was crystal clear, Bali plastic bag free. Awakened by the plastic waste surrounding the place Malati and her sister Isabel called home, the sisters have become iconic figures leading to a whole generation of young advocates speaking up against the plastic waste crisis that is affecting not just their hometowns, but also the entire Asia. Well, so the goal that we set for ourselves, right, when we when we started the petition very, very early on was a million signatures. So the next step that we went um, for was building our team. And so we pulled our closest friends together and hosted team meetings at lunchtime, snack time, anytime we could. And from there, we started growing our team of other young people across all different schools, local and international across the island. And so we put it online and the next day we were getting ready for school. But the first thing we wanted to do before leaving home was refresh the page of our petition and within 24 hours we'd gotten 6,000 signatures from people all around the world that had agreed Bali should be plastic bag free. So that was the first moment for us where we were like, okay, we're on to something. There's no turning back. So they didn't give up. After they got a million signatures, the governor of Bali still wasn't taking action. They needed to do something really bold. Me and my sister turned to my parents and were like, we're going to go on a hunger strike. So from sunrise to sunset, we didn't eat until we got a meeting with the governor of Bali. And you have to think, here we had like maybe, what was I, 13, 12? Like, yeah, 13, my sister was 11. 
little girls blew up in the media. 24 hours, we had our first call from the governor. And um, that was really the opening doors for a relationship that started with the government. They struck a deal with the Bali governor to ban plastic bags on the island. But their journey did not end there. We are the water protectors, the climate change activists. We are the innovators, entrepreneurs, and explorers. Allow us to drive the decisions that you are making. For us, that was one of our really more exciting emails that came into the inbox, um, where we were actually invited by the United Nations to take part in their ocean conference in 2017. Or until we become the leaders. We are here now and we are ready. The time for change has never been better. Fast forward eight years, not even the Weissen sisters knew that their movement would spread to over 29 countries across the world. But we found out that what Melody and her sister faced up to was just the tip of the iceberg. After hearing Malati's story, we decided to get more data about the amount of plastic waste circulating around Asia. So we reached out to an expert based in Japan, Mr. Prema Kumara. Kumara is from the Institute for Global Environmental Strategies, or IGES, a policy research institute that focuses on finding sustainable development solutions in Asia and the Pacific. He told me that Asia is the highest ocean plastic polluter in the world. Over 80% of marine plastic pollutions come from the Asian countries. And 90% of all the world's marine plastic waste originated from 10 rivers and 8 of them are in Asia. So you can understand the the huge scale of plastic waste issue in, in Asia. Right. And so why is that the case? Actually, this is because of lack of waste collection service in the uh, Asian cities. According to the the same World Bank report... Kumara uh, went on to say that waste collection rates in South Asia, near India, hover around 44%. And in Southeast Asia, the figure is around 70%. And so what happens to all the uncollected waste? So all these uncollected waste are mostly released to the environment. Right, meaning that it's leaked into the oceans, agricultural land, and eventually into our food systems. Kumara also mentioned that much of the collected waste is burned, not through expensive incinerators like in Europe, but in open dump sites that allow free release of toxins into the air. Another issue I, I feel is unsustainable pattern of plastic production and the consumption. The highest plastic waste generation is single-use plastic and packaging. Most of these plastic are difficult to recycle. Kumara said this has put a huge responsibility on the recycling facilities to process. And it also becomes very costly for the government to provide subsidies. And so let's take a step back to square one. Where is all of this plastic waste coming from? I, when I was growing up, uh, in the Philippines, I remember as a as a young uh, child being sent by my parents uh, to the, uh, what we call traditional uh, variety store, which we call them sari sari stores. And I would bring, for example, a small reusable cup uh, or container to buy condiments, sugar, buying in small portions. Uh, and at that time, uh, there was still uh, a good reusable, refillable system uh, in place. But this was completely taken over, seeing you know the increase in 
disposable products. But in India as well, we, we also have a lot of things that we uh, make at home and we wouldn't have to buy. For example, yogurt is something that most Indian households still already make at home, right? And so when you go to a supermarket and you, you see these aisles of yogurt just in single-use containers, that's when the, the difference between our consumption patterns and what's available in the market actually hits you. Vaughn Hernandez and Satyarupa Shekhar both work for the NGO Break Free from Plastic in Asia. Break Free from Plastic is a global movement of 11,000 organizations and individuals worldwide. And as you can guess from the name, they share a vision of a future that's free from plastic pollution. This uh, habit of buying goods in small portions or increments is actually part of Asian culture. And, And there's a philosophy behind it, you know, where people simply buy what they need, you know. But this has been... Uh, taken over by um, clever marketing minds from industry. You go to a uh, traditional uh, sari-sari store in the Philippines, in Indonesia, uh, also in India, and you'll find, you know, uh, the whole display is just plastic. With increasing incomes and rising affluence in this region, there's also uh, increasing consumption. And waste is basically the visible side of that overconsumption. Uh, and plastic being the disposable plastic being the face of this out of control, out of sight, out of mind consumption. Attraction to plastic-wrapped products wasn't just happening in Asia. It was all over the world. Disposable plastic is now ubiquitous. Even the developed countries or the industrialized countries are having uh, difficulty managing this waste, you know. That's why they still end up sending them abroad. In 2019, North American and European nations exported almost 1 million tons of plastic waste of which 300,000 tons landed in Asia. The advanced countries have been exporting mixed, heavy contaminated and often unrecyclable plastic waste abroad in order, in order to avoid pain to properly manage it locally. However, often all these developed countries where their plastic waste is counted as recycled in their exporting country. For me, I, I think that this is one of the sensitive and important issue need to be addressed at both national and the global scales. So stemming the tide of plastic waste in Asian countries, many with little trash collection infrastructure to begin with, became even more important with massive amounts of imported plastic waste. And then the COVID-19 pandemic hit Asia. Well, uh, remember before uh, COVID-19, avoidance uh, of single-use plastic was becoming the norm. Many uh, governments uh, have started instituting uh, single-use plastic bans or face-outs of certain uh, disposable products. But when COVID-19 happened, this has resulted in a spike of uh, the use of uh, disposable plastics, particularly in the medical sectors. Something we saw in India specifically after months of lockdown was that the textile industry that was being used to make garments were actually then um, diverted to making PPE kits and single-use masks. The government actually was in a great position to encourage reusables here, uh, rather than switching the same industry to um, 
using plastic to make these kits, right? So I think uh, there has been a lot of missed opportunities. I think on the COVID issue, there's one thing that we've learned is that pollution actually makes communities more vulnerable to infection. And so in the case of increasing plastics use, you know, that they burn, they will subject uh, host communities into greater threats and make them more susceptible to all kinds of infection, including COVID. In most Asian countries, there's little option but to burn the additional plastic waste generated during the COVID-19 pandemic. And that has a dramatic impact on the health of the surrounding communities. So, you know, plastics uh, typically have these two large um, uh, kinds of uh, chemicals. One is called bisphenol A and the other phthalates. Bisphenol A is also referred to as BPA, a chemical that's commonly used in refillable water bottles. But due to health impacts, it's been phased out, so most of the water bottles on the market these days are labeled BPA-free. While phthalates are commonly found in toys, detergents, food packaging, pharmaceuticals, medical and body care products. You know, what happens is some of this is going to leach into our food and our drinks and we directly ingest it. So uh, what we're seeing is, you know, our hormones um, start going out of control. Um, Reproductive systems are badly affected. Um, Child development is actually hindered. And these are things we already know. To unborn children as well as uh, newly born children, they already are experiencing these impacts. In India and other parts of Asia, sorting through the bales of unsorted plastic waste is often handled by poorer communities in an unregulated informal sector that bear the brunt of these health impacts. But Fon says it is not only the health impacts. Uh, The manufacturers and companies who've been using plastics have been able to externalize all these costs to society and to government. So we're basically paying for a burden that should have been theirs uh, to begin with. So the plastic waste deluge in Asia continues. Why hasn't it stopped? We have to look at the root causes, what's really driving the production of so much disposable throwaway single-use plastics that are then, you know, ending up in places where there's no infrastructure that's adequate to manage them in an environmentally sound manner. It puts the blame on uh, Asian citizens uh, from these countries as if our people, our citizens, do not have the discipline to throw their waste in the proper receptacle or separate their waste into recyclables or whatnot. With the price of oil being so cheap, even those that are doing effective recycling are not able to compete, you know, it, because it costs more to buy recycled, recyclable plastics than, uh, let's say, virgin plastic uh, to produce new plastic. So the economics does not work. Does that mean we can't recycle our way out of this disposable plastic waste crisis? It's impossible. I think after all we've, um, <laughs> we, we know about... <laughs> All we know about plastics, right? I mean, it's um, it's just it's a material that's not amenable to um, reuse multiple times without uh, adding in virgin plastics. So it's almost like beating a dead horse, right? And I think we should stop asking ourselves or trying to answer this question that can we really recycle our way? I mean, because the answer is an obvious no. Instead, I think we can really focus on some of the... Um, you know, some of these materials that have a way less carbon footprint have fewer impacts on the environment, on human health in general.
in fact industry has been wanting to push recycling as the solution all the time but their 70-year track record does not inspire confidence right uh, over since the 1950s they've only been able to recycle effectively four percent the real uh, solution is really reduction so it seems we need a fundamental shift in how we're approaching plastic waste in asia recycling isn't the only answer Reduction by stopping the import of plastic waste and maybe returning to some of the old traditional consumption patterns could also help. But changing the narrative, making systematic change, that requires more than just consumers trying to solve the disposable plastic dilemma. So it, there is a responsibility between, within the citizens and the communities how they, they will change their behaviors from this mass consumption to more uh, sustainable lifestyle. Business also need to take actions. So it needs some uh, financial systems like uh, ensure uh, extender producer responsibility or polluter pay principles to make uh, these uh, financial uh, mechanisms available for handling the plastic waste recycling and management at downstream. Disposable plastic in Asia causes health concerns, particularly for women, as well as soil, water, and air pollution in vulnerable communities. Whether the plastic is uncollected, landfilled, or incinerated, plastic waste can be toxic, and it unfairly hits the poorer areas of Asia in particular. Although the plastic waste battle was kicked off by young advocates like Malati and her sister in Bali, the solutions need to be more structural and involve the entire supply chain of plastic packaging. In our next episode, we'll delve into this growing narrative called polluter pays. This idea that companies which use plastic packaging should also be responsible for their cleanup. Because as Vaughn said earlier, society here in Asia needs to stop shouldering the burden of plastic waste. Thank you to our partner, the Heinrich Boll Foundation, for allowing us to use the formidable research behind their new publication, Plastic Atlas Asia. Heinrich Boll Foundation is a green think tank from Germany with more than 30 offices around the world, including Hong Kong. They produce a series of excellent publications, including Ocean Atlas, Agricultural Atlas, and a recent publication, Insect Atlas 2020. Also, thanks to the support for this series from the Break Free from Plastic Asia-Pacific. Break Free from Plastic is a global movement of 11,000 organizations and individuals worldwide, including Sustainable Asia. And as you can guess from the name, they share a vision of a future that's free from plastic pollution. My name is Marcy Trent Long. Our co-host, producer, and sound engineer is Bonnie Yao. Josh Ng Lee is the associate producer. A big thank you to our guests, Malati Wyson, Mr. Prima Kumara, Vaughn Hernandez, and Satya Rupa Shekhar. Alexander Mobison created the intro-outro music made from repurposed and recovered waste items. <laughs> <laughs>